Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Spring makes everyone a good gardener. Sunshine and the water from the winter combine to make everything just grow. It's a beautiful thing to look out at your garden or the little box on your window or your community garden plot and see it just thriving. But, but, it's winter, I think, that sets the true gardeners apart from the pretenders And I say this as a pretender. So today, we talk with experts on what you should be doing with your garden right now, here in the Bay Area, during this solstice time. We'll learn together. I'll be here taking notes. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Oh, how nice has the rain felt? I'm not over it yet. This fall's rain has refreshed the area, given life to the hills and all the little seeds that have been hiding. And now winter is officially here as of yesterday. The last leaves have fallen from my apple tree, which I count as the true start of the dark season. But you could also see the solstice as a different kind of beginning. It might be the darkest day, but there are lighter days ahead a few minutes at a time, all the way until high summer's upon us. So, what should we be doing out there in the garden for and with our more-than-human companions? We've got some experts to answer your questions. We've got a poet to read some poems. And we've got me to express my general enthusiasm. Uh, joining us this morning are Maya Blow, founder and owner of Soulflower Farm, based in El Sobrante. Welcome, Maya. Thank you so much for having me. We've got Tess Taylor, poet and gardener. Taylor edited the poetry anthology, Leaning Toward Light, Poems for Gardens and the Hands that Tend Them. Welcome, Tess. Hi, hi. (laughs) And we've got Flora Grubb of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco and Los Angeles, of course, and the Grubb and Nadler Nurseries. Welcome, Flora. Thank you. So happy to be here. So, Tess, it is the beginning of winter. What's your garden look like right now? My garden is half-turned beds with chicken poop hay on them Mm -hmm. and some compost. And there are uh, fava beans that are being planted. Mm. And I haven't gotten all my tulip bulbs in the ground. Some of them are waiting patiently in the refrigerator. I have a tiny little fava that's now like five inches tall. I'm very happy for him. He's running along. Um, Flora Grubb, how about you? Is your garden looking bare? Is it looking lush? What's Well, since my focus is always on 
um, climate appropriate, drought tolerant, ornamental gardening, which is what I've dedicated my life to. Yeah. My garden is spectacular <laughs> right now. <laughs> You're like, I don't mean to brag. Seriously, I don't mean to boast. It's unbelievably beautiful with just everything gets so lush when the rain starts. And then there are blooms on all uh, all kinds of things. And it's it's looking really good. You just have to stay ahead of the weeds, which I did manage to do. Yeah. I've been kind of blown away. We have an enormous aeonium, kind of which people are thinking thinking about it's like this kind of rosette succulent and when the rains come it kind of swells up yeah it gets and its face gets very flat yeah. which is so charming and then in the summertime it curls up into a little rose which is kind of the really charming thing about oh, that plant it's amazing we got ours at a Berkeley uh, like yard sale and it was someone who just you know left their succulents in their yard forever you know in pots and they I mean this one is literally it's like um, I don't know 15, 20 inches across. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of those plants that's one of the real pleasures of coastal California. That's a plant you cannot grow very many places. And you also cannot kill. And here we can't <laughs> kill discovered. it. It's like a weed. You literally, you just can't, you can't, even if you wanted to. Um, Maya Blow up in El Sobrante, you've got a full-on farm out there. And I imagine that means that the work just never stops. So talk to me about what you're up to, kind of getting things ready or, or planning new things. Yeah, so actually it's it's a little it's not so much that the work never stops. Winter time is kind of sleepy time for the garden mm-hmm. because I have a permaculture garden and I really do um believe in having mostly like perennial plants. Mm-hmm. So this time of year I've put everything in the ground, lots of cover crops, lots of favas, lots of garlic, onions, potatoes. And I just wait for the rain to come and everything comes up and (laughs) it's pretty hands off for me. I've fertilized, I've mulched and I'm off for the winter. So I just get to sit back and enjoy all the perennial medicinals flowering and coming back to life with the rain, everything greening up. Um, It's also very beautiful here right now. Okay. So for those of us who don't really understand what fertilizing and mulching mean, <laughs> you know, what, what does that mean for you? Like how should someone approach doing that in their own yard? Um, yeah, so it's all dependent on your scale, um, but definitely like using whatever type of fertilizer you can get your hands on, whether you build your own compost, whether you decide to do a sheet mulch. Sheet mulching is one of my favorite ways to build soil. And for me, through the fall and winter time, that is my top priority is building my soil. Mm. So sheet mulching is also known as a lasagna bed, (laughs) where you can like literally just build in place on your bed, your compost pile. And you want to do a nice balance of browns and greens. So the brown materials are going to give carbon to the soil. And that would be like straw or dry leaf litter, Mm -hmm. whatever organic material you can gather. And the greens would be the nitrogen source. So that would be your grass clippings. Um, It could be like compost from your kitchen. Um, And you just want to do layers of that with cardboard. Mm -hmm. And then you can mulch with straw on top and leave that all winter. The rains will break that down. And then come spring, you can plant straight into that. No tilling necessary. Um, You can also add, you know, um, manure if you want to do chicken or cow or goat or sheep, whatever type of manure worm. Um, And then you just let it sit. And it's a really hands-off method of building your soil. Um, with the least least energy input. I love that. Um, Tess, talk to me a little bit about the sort of metaphorical winter gardening, right? I mean, I feel like when people think of 
garden poems, they think of what gardens mean, they're oftentimes thinking of that green side of it, right? They're thinking of the lushness and the rebirth. But there's this, I I think there's a, a beauty to that kind of rotting, wet, you know, fungal stage of things too. I love so much the idea that in our lives, in winter, in creativity, there are things that have to happen that you can't see or control. And one of the things that happens when you plant your winter garden is you're leaving it over to this sort of microbial exchange to do this mysterious thing called build the soil. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's hard in our lives to have faith in the dark places, in the dream places, in the restful places, in the places where we're relinquishing active control. And I think Winter gardening asks us to do that, but I think creativity also asks mm-hmm. us to do that. Yeah. And so I do think there's a synchronicity there. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, maybe, Flora, I'll ask you this one first, but if this is outside of your main gardening remit, <laughs> then you just let me know. I've, you know, I've gotten really into planting, you know, different varieties of marigolds ahead of the Day of the Dead. And some years, they're basically done by December, right? They're just like... They, they turn this nice shade of red, and then they're just done. They're not flowering anymore. This year, maybe because it was a little warmer, but we got rain. I don't know exactly. They are still just, like, going, right? I mean, they're still, like, flowering. How would I know sort of when I should sort of take down, um, you know, an annual plant that does seem to be doing great? Do I just, like, wait till it tells me? Yeah, you wait till it tells you. And here in where our gardens are um, near the coast, it usually tells you by getting covered in powdery mildew. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yes. your that's your hint <laughs> that the show's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so but but the but right by the coast, this notion of annual and perennial often gets really mixed up, too. Right. Because a lot of things that they grow in the rest of the country and they let the snow take it down and that's the end of it for us just goes on and on and on forever. Yeah. And so new arrivals to California see these things growing right out of the ground that they thought were houseplants or that they yeah. think they thought they only got at the florist. Like, I don't know if do you guys remember arriving to uh, the Bay Area and seeing calla lilies growing yes. out of the ground <laughs> and how it seemed so exotic. I mean, for me, coming from Texas, it was stunning. And so we the those notions when we are by the coast where we're not going to get a hard freeze to knock right. everything down and we're not going to have a silent season in our gardens mm-hmm. the way that they might where everything is covered in snow and we look at seed catalogs. That's not coastal California gardening at all, yeah. right? So it's a very different experience. Our, our old house, when we first moved in, just had what looked to me like a gravel patch and, it, you know, kind of left the gravel patch and then it started to rain and suddenly boom like out of there came this incredible patch of of calla lilies it was the wildest thing because it looked like literally nothing was there until until the rain activated it yeah and so what is that metaphor for us in the mediterranean climate where winter doesn't mean cold it means wet and wet just means more life like it's kind of a interesting that, that it messes with our um, quiet, dark metaphors a little <laughs> bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, joining us this morning are Flora Grubb of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco and L.A. and Grubb and Nadler Nurseries. Also joined by Tess Taylor, a poet and gardener, edited the anthology Leaning Toward Light Poems for Gardens and the Hands That Tend Them, and Maya Blow, founder and owner of Soul Flower Farm based in El Sobrante. You know, we'd love to hear from you. What's happening in your winter garden? You know, how are you preparing uh, for the future seasons, or maybe you're not. Maybe this is 
the best time of year for your garden, you can email us, forum at kqed.org, or you can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Get some winter gardening tips. Tess, you have a poem from the anthology for us. Um, I believe it's an, an ode to a turnip. Yes, it is. So this anthology is contemporary gardening poems. When I put the anthology together, I really wanted it to be poets writing now about why we tend the earth now in this era of climate instability, when we're so hungry for food justice and racial justice, and just also hungry to be touching and in communion Mm -hmm. with the things around us. So um, this, there's poems by... Gosh, 80 80 contributors. But I'm going to read one by me about turnips. Turnips white as November moons, smooth baby skins, chill corpses. Ice rain falls on the roof as I chop you. You are cold, you are crop, you are roast, you are soup, our bread to last winters, feed cattle, and keep us this side of death, which is perhaps why the ancestors carved you for their hallows, lit skulls against dark. You unroot for lantern season. Outside is wet and vines tangle. Inside I quarter and broil you with bacon. Light us with fat. Become inner lamp. (laughs) Mm. Light us with fat. Become inner lamp. I love that. That's a nice little uh, mantra just about life in general. Um, I love the winter foods, the way that they um, come along with us and just want to stay in the cellars, you know, alongside (laughs) us. And um, this, you know, turnips are the kind of like the pumpkin before the pumpkin in that, you know, on the British Isles, there's a very old tradition of carving them out and lighting them up. And so I think the jack-o'-lantern and the pumpkin, you know, and the turnip have like our like cousins. Oh my gosh. I actually think uh, a carved turnip sounds a little bit creepy, but I'll take it. I'm sure, no, I'm sure, I'm sure it does. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it, right? I guess yeah. it's like kind of druidic vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, we're joined by Tess Taylor, poet and gardener, Maya Blow, founder and owner of Soulflower Farm, Flora Grub of Flora Grub Gardens, of course, here in San Francisco and also in Los Angeles. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking winter gardens here this morning. What's in them, how you're prepping, the delights that they offer. Joined by Flora Grubb of Flora Grubb Gardens. Maya Blow, founder and owner of Soulflower Farm and Elsa Bronte. And Tess Taylor, a potent gardener who edited the anthology Leaning Toward Light, Poems for Gardens and the Hands uh, That tend them. Want to uh, give a thanks to our digital community on the Discord. This was their show idea, actually, inspired by listeners like you. Uh, thank you to Gabby T, Krista, and Martina for suggesting this topic. Um, before the break, uh, Flora, Maya was telling us about kind of how to fertilize. If you've got kind of like a big garden, you're kind of doing this lasagna-style uh, mulching. How about like on a sort of like more ornamental level, like if I've just got like a little container and it's got some cool succulents in it, like how should I be thinking about fertilizing it? Yeah, so fertilizing is a, a huge gift, especially if you're not familiar with fertilizing and you've never done it before. And so when you're working with a smaller garden or even an indoor garden, when you've got houseplants and you're thinking about fertilizing, you're probably thinking about adding adding something, you know, not a bunch of organic material. Although for out Door, small urban gardens, adding compost to the top of everything can be a great way mm. to go. Um, but just also, like just drop it on the top, just like yeah, you, yeah, you dress it on the top, and you don't pile it too deep, and you can't pile it against the plant. So there's some things to know about it, but mm-hmm. um, but adding compost um, is a, is a great way to go, or, and adding different kinds of mulch as well, which there's a lot to know about mulching, but. You know, yeah. some you can educate yourself about, and then just using an organic uh, fertilizer. I love there's a um, there's a lot of great fertilizers out there that you can find, but using a gentle organic fertilizer, especially in your potted plants, both indoors and out, if you've never done it before, if, before especially, it will just change. You'll be shocked at how mm. much um, new growth and brightness you get out of your plants if mm. you try fertilizing for the first time. Oh, I love that. Um, let's bring in a call. Let's bring in a Stephanie, who's actually the CEO of the Gardens of Golden Gate Park. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Alexis. And hi, Flora. Great show. So I was so thrilled to hear this topic. Um, I did want to share just two two quick pieces of advice. It's not too late to get your California natives in. So mm. I just planted a bunch of shrubs. Uh, in my garden, ceanothus, uh, mm. toyon, our Christmas berry. It's very seasonal right now, as well as coffee berry and manzanita. So getting them in while the rains are coming is a good idea. Also, I just scattered a bunch of California wildflower seeds in mm. in my garden. And then if you have more room, if you can plant a tree um, and go bigger than a shrub, you know, I have to put a plug in for magnolias because mm. they bloom in the winter here. Most of our magnolias at the Botanical Garden in San Francisco start blooming sort of mid-January and go through about mid-March. Mm. And so, you know, we're just so lucky in this part of the world to have big, huge pink and white flowers in winter. Uh, so I invite everyone to come and check them out. And if you have room for a magnolia, I recommend one. You know, I uh, make a pilgrimage to a house up in Elmwood in Berkeley that just has two magnolias out front that are, you know, probably only, you know, eight feet tall, but they usually have like a hundred magnolias each. And they're those like huge um, bowl, like the just like a ball, it looks like a Christmas ornament that's like red and it opens up into this incredible flower. Well, and if you're not familiar with the magnolia 
collection in Golden Gate Park at the Botanical Gardens in Golden Gate Park. This is something that uh, many horticulturalists make a pilgrimage to every year. Yeah. It is a spectacular collection of magnolias. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to get out there. Um, uh, thank you so much, uh, Stephanie, for, for giving us a call. I, you know, it kind of also went to something that I wanted to ask you about, Maya, which is if you're a planting new, planting fresh, you you let's say you just moved into a new house or you are just got a new plot in a community garden or whatever it is, you're just putting your, your first container, like, and you want to plant something right now, what what would you plant, Maya? Um, I mean, there's so many little microclimates in the Bay Area. So I think like taking a nice um, moment to observe your site and see what your sunlight is like and how much water you have on your site is important. Um, and then also just assessing like, what do you want? What do you want to grow? Do you want mm. something that you can eat? Do you want something that's medicine for your family? Do you want just native plants to beautify your space? Um, so I think those are important questions to ask. And then you can just go ahead and, you know, start creating your beds. Um, I like to just, if you're not going to build raised beds, I like to just stake out my beds and either till and fertilize or create the sheet mulch, which is like, again, mm. just such an easy way to get your beds going. Um, and then now is a good time of year too. You can put in a lot of nice, like edibles, like greens, brassicas right now on my farm. Mm -hmm. I have tons of greens, kale, chard, um, Brussels sprouts, mm -hmm. broccoli, like all those greens. This is the time of year for greens. So we can get like all of our great nutrition, lots of garlic, onions. Again, I love planting lots of favas. So depending on your scale, those are some good ideas of, yeah. of things you can plant right now. I got to put in a plug for favas too, because around here they're kind of indestructible and also they're so beautiful, like both like the, the leaves themselves, which are also edible and delicious, but then you get these totally crazy flowers and then you get to watch these massive, you know, fava bean pods develop. Yeah. And, and below the soil too, because they're fixing yeah. all that nitrogen yeah. in this. Mm -hmm. I love it. And you can make pesto out of the leaves. Yes, I have done this. It's Amazing. so good. And the other thing is some of the recipes are super fussy where you have to shell them like seven times to get to this little <laughs> nugget in the middle. But you can actually just pick them and throw them on the grill. Yeah. And they're so, I mean, if you are have been afraid of favas because they seem complicated, they're actually so much more generous than you might yeah. realize. Well, also what you're afraid of is that you have a huge thing of favas and then as you shell them and then go to the inner shell you get to the end and you're like wait this is all i got <laughs> you're like holding it in the palm of your hand what was once a field of fava beans and you're like wait a second you know yeah one of the cool things about this book of poems is that some of the poets added their recipes from the garden and so if you are interested in knowing how jane hirschfield cooks her fava beans you can find out no way yeah i like i like that idea um she has a great poem uh, in here as well. Um, November, remembering Voltaire. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just going to read this one. I'm, you know, now that she came up, um, we will uh, honor her, uh, her fava beans. Um, this is Jane Hirschfield, November, remembering Voltaire. In the evenings, I scrape my fingernails clean, hunt through old catalogs for new seeds, oil work boots and shears. This garden is no metaphor, more a task that swallows you into itself, earth using, as always, everything it can. I lend myself to unpromising winter dirt with leaf mold and bulb, plant into the oncoming cold. Not that I ever thought the philosopher meant to be taken literally, but with no invented god overhead, I conjure a stubborn faith in rotting, 
that ripens into soil, in an old corm that rises steadily each spring. Not symbols, but reassurances, like a mother's voice at bedtime reading a long, familiar book. The known words barely listened to, but joining for all the nights of a life, each world to the next. What a poem. Beautiful. God, Jane. Come on, Jane. Thank you, Jane. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I, um... You know, the the thing about the, the old corm, like, coming up, you know, and these plants that seem like they're not doing great or, or you know, are, are sort of hiding, like the calla lilies, the hellebore for me, Flora, are something that is so magical. We, some neighbors did some work, and a, a piece of our yard just got, like, leveled to nothing. And I had just planted all these hellebore, and I love them, and they're the ones with, like, the, they're just a bunch of different kinds. It's really beautiful. I thought they were just done you know and I kind of got the ground level and I was kind of looking sadly over at this patch thinking like you know I should probably replant something there but as I waited to get over my grief suddenly all the hellebore came back up they were they just popped right out and were like it totally fine Um, and there's something kind of beautiful about plants like that that do feel like it reminds you that the under the undergirding of the plants, like what's under the soil, is like as if not more important than what you're actually seeing above ground, right? Right, and that there's and that there's so much going on under there that might arise as beautiful flowers, but also that all just stays under there with its own magic. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, right. That's true. Um, did you want to say something, Tess? Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to add that it's sequestering carbon. You know, doing all of these like beautiful, invisible tasks for us. Yeah. Um, let's bring in Suzanne in Sunnyvale. Welcome, Suzanne. Yes, hi. Hey, go ahead. I What's have your a question, question about using um, products like miracle Grow that sell fertilizers in granulated form and you dilute them and they also sell soil. Are those, I, I'd like to know what your your guests think about that and if those are, um, you know, there's any detriment to using them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's go, um, uh, Maya, how about you first and then Flora can take this one on too. Sure, I mean, I'm just going to be really straight up about this. I, to me, that's poison. I would never put that in my soil. I think it's just poisoning the soil. And I think there's so many resources that we have for organic fertilizers um, that are way more beneficial than using miracle Grow. So I would really encourage people to just do a little research or if you just aren't really sure, even just go to your local hardware store and just ask, like, what are your best organic fertilizers products that they have? Um, but I definitely would never support miracle Grow. Yeah, miracle Grows are is easy to overdose on, too. Like, you mm. can do real damage even just at, at, on a small level by overdoing it. Where mm. um, Go with, go organic. There's not really any reason not to. Yeah, we have a lot of good options now, right? It's not so like... many good options that are granular and easy to use or liquid and easy to use, but that are, but are entirely organic. Yeah. And when you say overdose, basically, like, if you give the plants too much nitrogen, is that what it is? It's too much too much phosphorus? <laughs> I guess too much of anything is a bad thing? Yeah, you can kill various plants in different ways by giving them too much fertilizer. And you can kill them quickly or slowly or just damage them. But there's a lot of damage that can be done. So when you are going to fertilize with your organic fertilizer, if you're going to use something that is mm-hmm. a product like that, just go slow. If a little is good, a lot is not better. And 
and you can't take it away once you've added it. So just go very slow. Follow the directions, <laughs> or use a little less than the directions say. Yeah. But but more is not more is not better when it comes to yeah. fertilizer. Um, so I have to admit that I'm a sucker for a plant that sort of does something with a little weight built in. You know, like it's uh, it, the bud takes a long time to to flower. It's, you know, it's kind of like a hike with a destination built in, you know, you kind of, you can watch it and like every day you can see it changing a little bit. It kind of helps me like, it helps be the meter of my, my gardening. And, you know, there's not as many flowers that do that during the wintertime, but I'll tell you the, the plant that's been giving me so much joy during this time is watching these tree ferns that I planted mm. as they send out their fronds, because that whole process takes like weeks but it's really beautiful at every stage from like the little crozier, like fiddlehead all the way through to when they've just started to like leaf out and then all the way until you, you see the full size of it. It's like kind of hard to believe. Um, do any of you have a favorite um, plant that kind of works like that where you get to kind of work with the anticipation and there's kind of a reward at the end? Yes. I love Banksia. Which is an, another one of those rare plants that we can grow in coastal California and not so very many other places. And this is a plant where the foliage event that happens is so spectacular. And then the flowering process takes a very long time. Oh. And so it's just a super exciting, um, rare uh, group of plants that you can see at the San Francisco Botanical Gardens <laughs> or at the other botanical gardens all up and down the California coast. So I... Uh, quickly Googled Banksia. Um, and uh, am I wrong in thinking this is, um, I'm going to say it wrong, Protea, Protea? Yeah, that's right. It's a pro, it's Proteaceae. Proteaceae. And what makes this different from your sort of like everyday ones that you might see out there? What makes Banksia different? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Banksia are pretty difficult to propagate, which is mm. part of what adds to their rareness, but also what makes them such a wonderful plant to add to your California garden without any fear of the plant escaping into the wild. Ah. So it's from a climate that's really similar to ours. It's from a winter wet, summer dry climate. So it's going to adapt and function like a native in your garden and that it's not going to need additional water or chemical inputs once it's established. Mm -hmm. But um, but it is difficult to propagate, and so it's not gonna. You're not gonna get seeds that are suddenly spreading all over your garden, yeah, or into the wilds around your garden. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Sure. Um, Maya, how about you? Is there a particular plant that gives you that kind of joy of anticipation and reward? Hmm, during the winter, I, I can't say necessarily that I have a particular plant. I just really love. I have so many varieties of salvias on my farm mm. and I just love how when it starts getting wet and more green the salvias start flowering and bushing out and coming back to life and so and they just get huge and so I think those give me a lot of joy the the reds and purples mm. and um yeah have those do those take a while once you put them in I've put in a couple of salvia and I kind of you know the things that I put in at the same time are now <laughs> much larger than they are. And they're kind of still sitting there, little kind of runts down at the bottom. of. I don't know. I think it just depends on your soil and how much water they're getting. But I've just noticed like they're the most hands-off plants, although they do require some pruning back mm -hmm. in the dry season. But I just love how I can put them in the ground and leave them alone. And then over time, they just, I love creating borders and hedgerows with them. Mm. And, you know, they give that beautiful green look. But then when they flower, they're amazing. And then all the pollinators come. So I just, even this time of year, I've got hummingbirds, you know, coming, yeah. even though it's a little bit cooler. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah, you're doing something wrong. Salvias, <laughs> salvias are one of the easiest to grow plants that we ha- that we can just enjoy. Uh, yeah. For the pollinators, we get we often get um, year round blooms on them, yeah. and it's one of those plants that are tricky because it, they do need to be cut back at some time. But it can be hard to figure out when to like jump in and cut them back yeah. because they just keep flowering and flowering. But they all do benefit from a little bit of pruning, um, just to shape them up and keep them from getting really gangly. So that's a that's I definitely what, could have done something wrong here i it's funny like air plants supposed to be so easy i kill every single air plant i've ever gotten and apparently salvia too you know give me something harder i need a challenge um apparently um we've got uh kirk uh writes in to say our neighborhood has a number of citrus and fruit trees many of which go unharvested within the valley of heart's delight where there used to be many orchards what does the panel recommend for keeping fruit trees vibrant and where can surplus fruit be donated. My effort, do you have fruit trees out on the farm? I do. Yeah, I have I have a small orchard that I inherited when I purchased a property and then I have probably another like 60 plus fruit trees that I've put oh, in the damn. ground. So, I have a lot of fruit trees. Um and I mean I'm not a fruit tree expert, but you know, I prune them usually like one third, one third, one third throughout the year. Wait, what's that mean? Um so through the seasons, like instead of pruning the trees back all at once, I prune a third of the tree mm-hmm. through each season just to kind of be a little more gentle on the tree. And that's a, a method I learned from some mentors through the California Rare Fruit Growers Association. Um, and you can definitely do more research about that method. Um, and then as far as fertilizing, I just tend to keep my fruit trees really well mulched with wood mulch, like, um, you know, ground, uh, like wood mulch that you would get from mm-hmm. Um, And then, yeah, sometimes giving them some compost. um, But they do really well as long as the deer don't eat the fruit. I get (laughs) lots of fruit. (laughs) I always forget, Um, anytime you go to a a garden place that's like a little further out from like the inner East Bay or or San Francisco, then like everything is about what the deer won't eat, you know? Like if you live in in Oakland, you're sort of like, I wish there was a deer around to eat this, but no, they're they're never. Right, we're like hiring goats to come eat our weeds here. Exactly, exactly. We are going to talk about some weeding. Some questions are coming in around that. We're going to talk about um, what to do with dead tomato plants. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, joining us this morning, we've got Maya Blow, founder and owner of Soulflower Farm in El Sobrante. We've got Tess Taylor, potent gardener who edited the poetry anthology Leaning Toward Light, poems for gardens and hands that tend them. And of course, the legendary Flora Grub. A Flora Grub Gardens in San Francisco, also LA, and Grub and Nadler Nurseries. We're taking your calls and questions. What's happening in your winter garden? Share something you love or a question that you have about uh, what to do. We've got forum at kqed.org or you can call us 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about winter gardening here in the Bay Area, whereas Flora Grubb has told us, you know, some of the old metaphors about the bare and quiet winter don't actually hold. <laughs> uh, we're joined by Flora, Flora Grubb Gardens, Tess Taylor, uh, poet and gardener, edited the anthology Leaning Toward Light, Poems for Gardens in the Hands That Tend Them, and Maya Blow, founder and owner of Soul Flower Farm, based in El Sobrante. We're going to get to some of your more calls and questions and comments. Uh, what's happening in your winter garden forum at kqed.org? Um, all right. We've got quite a, a lineup of questions here, but first I get to ask mine, which is I am, of course, a avid but still somewhat new gardener and bulbs kind of confuse me. Like, when do you stick them in the ground? When's it supposed to be happening? Tess, why don't we start with you? I love native plants, but I'm also a sucker for tulips. So I do that every year. Um, I usually buy them in November and I stick them in the refrigerator to get cold mm. because we don't have the consistent cold that they might really want here. And then right about now, as we're getting the first heavy rain, I dig, I add compost, I add a little mulch, I add some hay from the chicken coop, and I put them way down huh. and cover them up. And one of the things that I love about this is I'm not going to see anything yeah. until March. <laughs> um, and just make it's like making a promise to myself and the earth like, yeah. hey, we're here and we're going to be here in 12 weeks. <laughs> and in 12 weeks, there are going to be flowers. And I just my kids love this ritual. It's reverse Easter egg hunting. Yeah, <laughs> you're just you're right. You're just sticking them in. Yeah, you're sticking right. them in. And then they're going to remind you where they've got put up. But yeah. there's a there's a kind of um, like a lovely just like sleep tight. Yeah, yeah. You're tucking yeah. them in. You're like, yeah. yeah. Oh, Have a good cuties. time in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think part of how you get confused is that all in our climate, we can also grow bulbs from a bunch of other parts of the world that are um, adapt- that are from the Mediterranean colder, climate. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And so they're not from colder places. They're yeah. from places oh, oh, just oh, like this. Yeah. And so they go deciduous and dormant in the heat and dry and they spring back in the wet and cold and so you're gonna they are they're popping up now you should have planted them in the summertime and they're gonna get and they're gonna do their thing while it's raining and often stay up for as long as it's wet and then they're gonna go to sleep when it gets dry okay now i'm now i feel like this is a quiz if i did something wrong or right again uh grape hyacinth that so that's one of the ones that just like you described that this sometimes needs a little on the, it's from a a a, a climb it will survive in climates that yeah. are colder than ours yeah. and it's going to come up in the spring and go and then go deciduous once it's done blooming. Uh oh, mine are up already. What are some? Oh, that's okay. okay. Tell, I mean, you know, <laughs> spring your, loosely defined. <laughs> tell us your favorite summer ones. I know I'm not really oh, supposed yeah. to ask. No, no, no. Do, now. do I it. Know. Yeah, let's hear. Oh, let's see. I mean. It, 
my, you know, I'm not a huge bulb expert and I don't grow a lot of bulbs in my own garden, but yeah. the, but the South African, the South Africa has afforded us most of the really uh, fascinating bulbs that, that I um, that's cool. like to see in other people's gardens. Let me, let me ask you about a, another thing that, um, you know, Tess mentioned, I think it's called cold stratification, right? It's where they need to get cold. Um, and I have been wanting to have Mariposa lilies as you, I'm showing them my Mariposa lily tattoo here in the studio. Um, and they're one of those things that seem really hard to propagate. You can order the seeds, but I had to do this thing where you kind of like score them and then you put them in some soil and then you stick them in the refrigerator. And I uh, and then I planted the little seedlings and they seemed like they were going and then nothing happened. Um, so I do you tell me tell me a little more about some of these things that are difficult to propagate or that require, you know, these more, um, I don't know, involved sprouting processes. Yeah, propagation isn't my area of expertise, but I know enough to know that some of what you went through is a lot of what we go through um, and the propagation uh, crew on our farm in northern San Diego County to get these plants to grow. It's like scoring them, burning them, then soaking them or soaking (laughs) them in um, in various solutions all to get them to just sprout. Whereas we know that in our gardens right now, we're definitely experiencing that there are plenty of plants that just sprout really, really easily, yes. right? We call yeah. those some of those plants weeds. But yeah, it's a, it's an exciting um, propagation can be a really exciting hobby growing both from seed and all of the profound things that you have to do to get some seeds to sprout. And then also taking cuttings or um, grafting. And it's, yeah. it's a whole um, expanse of hobby that can be really satisfying. Yeah. I also just found it so funny because, you know, I love Mariposa lilies because when you're out hiking, you find them in just like the worst, most unlikely places. You know, you're just like at the top of like Mount Diablo and you're like, what is this beautiful, you know, native plant doing here? And then, of course, if you want to try and grow it yourself and simulate that, you have to do all this crazy stuff. Whereas like, you know, just nature will do do it all on its own. Um, You did mention weeds. um, And Martha writes in to say winter rains bring carpets of weeds, whether they are Oxalis, grass, or poison hemlock, they can choke everything else. How do your guests approach winter weeding? And uh, Maya, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, I'm trained as a Western botanical herbalist, so I see weeds from a really different perspective. A lot of our best herbal medicine are weeds. And also the way that the weeds um, offer medicine for our bodies, they also offer medicine for the soil. So a lot of times we look at these plants like, oh, they're the bane of our garden. But at the same time, they're actually doing really important jobs in the soil. So, you know, you can pull your weeds or you can leave them and observe them, but also think about weeds as green manure for your garden. You know, they create a living mulch. They also can be pulled and create a really wonderful base for your compost pile. And it's also a lot of information if you observe the type of weeds that are growing in your garden or in your yard, because it'll give you information about your soil health. So just to take a moment of observation, always, always, I'm a big proponent of observation. And a lot of weeds are edible, too, like especially when we're just getting the first rains or in the spring later. A lot of the weeds that come up are really nutritious salad greens. Um, But again, you want to be sure to educate yourself on what plants are growing so that you know it's safe. You know, the oxalis is definitely one of those ones that has um, struck me as really interesting because, of course, there's ornamental ones that people choose to plant, you know, that are like totally beautiful, but then other people seem to really hate them. Um, do you have do you have thoughts on them, Flora? I mean, I just think in, in our in our small urban gardens, 
weeding is a fact and it's just a learn to love it kind of thing. <laughs> if you in a, at the level of a, a little urban garden, if you just let the weeds go you're, or, you know, you just kind of think that you don't need to get out in your garden during the wintertime. By the time you get out there, the weeds may have enveloped everything that you intended to plant. Mm. And so... Um, Find a way to make it fun for yourself. Get yourself a pair of gloves or get the tool that you need in order to and then do, and be special timely. gardening clogs, you know, yeah. just get, <laughs> a little you know. hat. Um, but then you, but then get out there before spring. Right. Because if you wait until it's nice and warm to go and start keeping the weeds, especially off of the plants that you intended to grow, they are going to have overtaken in a lot of our gardens. Yeah. And so whenever it gets a little warm and um, as it will if in the Bay Area gets a little warm, get out there and weed. Yeah, um, let's get to some more callers here. Uh, Margo in Inverness, welcome. Hi, I wanted to tell you I'm a real fan of hellebore. Also, mm. we live in a house where we get no sun from November 1st until about March 1st because we live in mm. the shadow of uh, Vision Mountain. And the one plant that I can always count on that's flowering all winter and just gorgeous for the hummingbirds is Salvia Majestica. Mm. I love that. I also, um, I totally, there's a lot of Bay Area places that are shady because they're not in the... uh, uh, in the shadow of a beautiful mountain, so that's also if you're gonna have to be in the shade, that's a good uh, that's a good version of it. And um, Salvia Majestica was the recommendation there. I love that. Um, let's get to uh, Marie in Atherton. Welcome. Hi. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Go ahead. Oh, good, good, good. You know, one of my favorite plants that I, I well is Daphne odora. It's a. Uh, it's very fragrant. It has little teeny flowers that look like nothing, but the flowers smell like heaven. Mm. And um, it's a lovely variegated plant. And I'm actually surprised. I used to think that uh, that there was a great chance that Daphne's would commit Daphnicide, but I'm beginning to feel like they actually grow better and than I thought. Anyway, it's a mm. lovely plant. Uh, it's a landscape plant. Uh, they bloom early, and uh, they're just. They're lovely. Daphne Adora. Daphne Adora. Thanks so much. Do you know Do you know that one, Flora? That yeah, one that's one? a wonderful plant for Atherton and the, a climate similar to that where it gets a little bit hot mm. and a little bit cold, but not too hot. Not yeah, too that's beautiful. I'm doing my um, fast Googling and it, that, you're right. They look like little tiny bunches, little inflorescences there that are, that are totally gorgeous. Yeah, but um, it scents the whole garden. Oh, it's really? one of those plants uh, where you like... You you come into the garden and you're like, where is that smell coming from? Because it's this tiny little flower. I love it. Um, let's see. Uh, other comments uh, coming in. Uh, Noel uh, on Discord writes, uh, plant wildflower seeds. Looking forward to my Ceanothus bushes blooming their deep blue flowers. That is mm. one of the great um, – because it almost seems like you know that kind of blue that we get in February – you know, I feel like sometimes they're they're already out. It's beautiful. There's not very many plants that I'm willing that I would say every garden should have one. Every garden should have a ceanothus. <laughs> every garden should have a ceanothus. If because there because there are so many, everything from a giant tree to a tiny little ground cover, and their flowers are lovely for us, but attract so many living things, which makes your garden more exciting. Yeah, there's a time of the year where I can just walk around the neighborhood and I know where the ceanothus are because you can hear them. You can mm-hmm. hear all the all the bees and pollinators going to them. Um, they're so fun. 
Um, here's a couple other people uh, tending their garden. Stephanie in Oakland writes, The winter garden is beautiful, green, and lush. I eat the best salads, quiches, and sautéed greens, plus fresh eggs. Must have chickens out there. Mm. Um, Debbie in Citrus Heights writes, Last year, I was too late in pruning my blueberries, and I had a very small harvest. So I started pruning yesterday and hope for a much better outcome in the spring season. I love that. Monk gardeners, hope. Always springs eternal. <laughs> yeah, and then the blueberries also just, are they're going to want that mulch for sure. I mean, the com- compost of them now and mulch over the top of the compost, and they are heavy feeders. Yeah. One of the things I love about pruning is that you have to think about the future of the plant. You're, yeah. you're looking towards the future shape of the plant as you do that pruning. So that's totally. really cool. It's like the four-dimensional sculpting. Totally. Yeah. There's this element of time that's part of winter gardening that's, that has to do with that hope springing eternal, you know, yeah. um, tending to the future. I also think it's one of the skills that people are most afraid of. Of like just getting out a pruning tool and starting to cut away at your plants is really scary for yes. beginning gardeners. And oh my gosh. we've heard that there are all these rules that we have in the back of our minds somewhere about when and how we should be pruning, which I think really scares people off. Um, but there, there's a lot of great resources that you can do because I think pruning is really important. And this time of year in, for the for aesthetic pruning, we're thinning out plants, um, a lot of plants, because um, otherwise they might blow over in the storms, right? As well as doing all of the important pruning for our fruit trees and and, uh, perennials that are starting to go half dormant. That's so interesting. Um, Let's get to another question here. Steve in Petaluma, welcome. I have a morning ritual that I spread the coffee grounds from my number two filter (laughs) onto my flower bed soil. I don't know where I learned this. I like the effect. It's a nice dark rose, so it looks nice on the flower beds. Is it of any value or is it uh, a detriment to the soil for flower beds? Thank you. Hey, thank you, Steve. You know what? I what I really like about that is just imagining you out there doing that. You know, that's like a that's like one of those. You know, that's with just your like, hot coffee in one yeah, hand. Yeah, that's right. And you've got the filter in the other, and you're kind of checking in. Like everyone on my whole block makes fun of me because I I'm, I'm always like puttering around in the front yard. You know, like checking on this, checking on that, and that's that to me. That kind of ritual is as much about the putter as whatever it's actually doing for the plant. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, for organic matter not going to be bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially um, not one uh, coffee filter at a time across yeah. the whole garden. Yeah. But I just love that moment when you think of something that would be a waste product and mm-hmm. you start to see it as eggshells. Oh, my <laughs> gosh, that's calcium for my tomato plants. And you get really excited about the the reuse. And, again, I, so much of this um, conversation today is about soil and breakdown. But, um, you know, yeah, hooray, new life for your coffee grounds. Yeah. Um, So we have another poem. I want to get to this uh, poem here. Um, What are you reading for us? I am reading a poem um, by Czesław Milos, who is a Polish poet who lived through some of the great atrocities of the 20th century and ended up in Kensington and teaching at UC Berkeley. Um, And we're in a season of gifting. um, And the gift in this poem is actually just contentment. And I thought I would read it um, because I think that's one of the gifts that gardens can Mm -hmm. give us. So anyway, this poem is called Gift. It's by Czesław Milos. A day so happy. Fog lifted early. I worked in the garden. 
Hummingbirds were stopping over honeysuckle flowers. There was no thing on earth I wanted to possess. I knew no one worth my envying him. Whatever evil I had suffered, I forgot. To think that once I was the same man did not embarrass me. In my body, I felt no pain. When straightening up, I saw the blue sea and sails. Mm. Give us the name one more time of that. The poem is called Gift, and the poet is the Nobel Prize winning Czeslaw Milos. And that is, of course, from the poetry anthology Leaning Toward Light, Poems for Gardens and Hands That Tend Them. If you are, uh, you know, staying indoors and not doing too much gardening, but you still want to keep going, you know, you can get your seed catalog, you get your poems out, you get your coffee, you're, you're ready to go. Um, uh, we have been talking about winter gardening this morning, you know, what's in them, how you've been prepping, the delights that they can offer. We've been joined by Tess Taylor, poet and gardener, edited the anthology Leaning Toward Light. Thanks so much for joining us. Such a joy to be here. We've also been joined by Maya Blow, founder and owner of Soul Flower Farm, based in El Sobrante. Wonderful story and an awesome looking farm. Thank you so much for joining us, Maya. Thank you for having me. And we've been joined by Flora Grubb of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Also a Grubb and Needler Nurseries. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Flora. Thank you. Nice to see you. Yeah. Uh, wanted to give one more shout out to the digital community on Discord. You know, they were the ones who inspired us to do a show on winter gardening, get some tips in, get some poems in. Thank you, Gabby T, Krista, and Martina for suggesting uh, this topic. You know, the nine o'clock hour of forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, and Dan Zoll. Our interns are Jericho Reininger and Amiko Oda. Also, it was Jericho's last day yesterday, y'all, so you won't be hearing his name, but he's amazing. Uh, Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer. Francesca Fenzi is our digital community producer. And Judy Campbell is our lead producer. Danny Bringer is our engineer. Our vice president of news is Ethan Toven Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Just want to say this is our last live show of this year, 2023. Hasn't been the easiest year, not the easiest year to have conversations, not the easiest year to imagine a better world, not the easiest year to build community. But you know, having all these people come into the studio, there's one thing I've seen from the people doing the sustaining work across our region is that the most important thing is to keep showing up, keep meeting each other, keep talking with each other. You have to do the small things side by side so we can do bigger things together later. So thank you for calling. Thank you for joining the digital community. Thank you for writing us the notes that you do and sending us letters here at the station. And thank you for listening, by which I really mean hearing all these people who make up this place. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.